This is the story of Dom and Tom, written by Tom Fletcher and read by Andrew Stanson. This is Chapter 3, Part 17. Hello! Apologies for the delay with this part. I've been knocking walls down in my new house, and if I'm being honest, I forgot. Anyway, where was I? As we stood at the entrance to the cliff training facility, we felt downright ill. We needed drugs or some sort of narcotic to get us through what was going to be like a day out in the devil's bumhole. We both set up our equipment and prepared ourselves for the onslaught. The first few schools went OK and I managed to find myself a routine to take each class through the recording equipment and interviewing techniques. At this point, I'm not sure how Don was doing, but we made of the same stuff, so I had faith he was doing well. I then became bored. My only solution to this boredom was to turn into a children's TV presenter. Teaching the kids was out, and in-your-face slapstick humour from the school of Chris Tarrant was in. The kids were lapping it up, and after every turn, a round of applause followed. I felt like Pat Sharp, before he got weird. This was going well, and would look good to any prospective BBC big guns watching on. The thing was, it was only 10.30am, and the working day finished at 6pm. If I was to keep this pace up, I would plain and simply die. I met Dom for lunch, and he too had taken a similar approach. He was just making stuff up as he went along, and we both jumped on the opportunity for a spot of attention-seeking, very similar behaviour to that of an Asbo child, pre-expulsion from school. The afternoon dragged on, and as every hour passed, our enthusiasm drained drop by drop from our bodies. If our enthusiasm was represented by our body, then we were two white sacks made of skin and full of bone. It wasn't a pretty sight, and it was reflecting in our teaching skills. By 5pm, I'd turned into some sort of dictator barking orders to whimpering eight-year-olds stood around the camera. I was slowly turning into a Cuban leader, and the cliff was my communist regime. Dom also fell into this trap, except his unkempt look stood him in good stead as Colonel Gaddafi. By 6pm, we were shadows of our former selves, and left scrambling for the exit feeling downright insane. I do not know how they do it. Teachers, that is, not dictators. It's a relentless slog, and me hat goes off to them. Before this turns into a teacher love fest, let me just say, though, myself and Dom did ourselves proud and got some good feedback from Shelley. So much so, we got invited back to do the same event a week later. We both declined on medical grounds. To be continued. Bradford play Aston Villa tonight in the first leg of the freaking Capital One semi-final. It's kind of a big deal. If I get a reply today from anyone at the office of Amazing FFT, I'll donate £50 to the RSPB. They don't get enough coverage, in my opinion. Part 18. Good morning, FFT. What a week. To be a Bradford City fan, that is. Tuesday night was one of the best nights of my life, in terms of Bradford City, and my co-host Dom will wholeheartedly agree. The team performance, structure and spirit shown against half-decent Premier League opposition still puts a beaming smile across my face. I was going to roll out into another chapter of our story, but feel this email should be dedicated to the reason I'm here in the first place. My club. My hometown team. My Bradford City. And why we aren't any ordinary club. Roughly ten years ago, we were relegated from the Premiership under a cloud of financial ruin. The relegation would cost us, we all knew that. It was also the realisation that overspending on players like Carboni and the first-class donk Dan Petrescu would not only plunge us further into debt, but essentially send us to the brink of life as Bradford City FC. 
I could go on and fill your hearts and heads with depressive story on story as the years drew on and on, but instead, let me take your attention to a young boy called Joe, eight years old, from Bradford. He never saw Bradford play in the Premier League, but had heard all the tales from his dad who watched weekly from his armchair. He never felt the cold, hard plastic of a Valley Parade seat or watched legends come and go week in, week out. He was too young and had nobody to go with. He missed the gracing period. Then came the season of 2002-2003 and an invitation of a season ticket from his cousin would change his life forever, at the lowly age of nine. This young boy, Joe from Bradford, would witness each season the club he was growing to love crumble every single year. The team would deplete as every autumn turned to winter, managers and coaches would come and go and nothing ever looked in the right direction. Two administrations would loom over the club. The dark days got darker and performances on the pitch reflected every inch of the darkness. It was horrible. But Joe stuck with his team. He knew of nothing else and his cousin, now a man as well, stood by him, both finding as much pride as they could to go and watch, season tickets in hand, every single week. Joe, now 18, still turns up in the same seat his cousin introduced him to 10 years ago. Block B, row P, seat 34. But something is different. 2012-2013 will be the season Joe never forgets. For him, the game against Wigan and subsequent cup run, as well as brilliant league form this year, will live long in his memory. Not many fans, especially at the age of eight, would put up with a ten-year demise like ours. The pressure to follow the biggest clubs in the land, the obsessions with the celebrity egos of modern footballers and wanting to grow up like Beckham were all resisted by a young boy from Bradford. He felt something inside from that tender age and now, at last, he can reap the rewards. I understand our story isn't the worst in the world. I dread to think what would have happened if our administrators had sent us under. I dread. Neither can we empathise with clubs like AFC Wimbledon and such like. But what we can teach people is how to stick by your colours no matter what the cost. We're a bad example of how a club can fall from grace. But we're a brilliant example of how to catch a club that falls from grace and stick by it. No matter what. Just like Joe. Part 19 Good morning, beautiful FFT. Anyway, back to our story and why we think we might just deserve some sort of feature in your pure perfection of a magazine. Flattery gets you nowhere these days. BBC work kept coming our way in every shape and form, whether it be teaching kids how to use technical recording equipment without beating them with it, or showing people how to make the most of the BBC website without bashing them over the heads with an iPad, we were making headway. Then, one sunny morning... But I don't think it was actually sunny, but after this next email, Bradford turned into Barbados. We received an email from Shelley Alexander. It was probably the best email ever written. It went something like this. In fact, it went exactly like this, as this is the email. Hi boys, I've managed to sort out a bit of work for you two with BBC Sport. They need two guys to stand in as pundits on the Match of the Day Shadow programme this Saturday night. It'll be going out alongside the actual match of the day in London and they need two characters to play the parts of Dixon and Hanson. The email was longer than this, but that's all you need to know and that's all we needed to hear. You have never heard two adults scream as loud in all your life. I also nearly had a hernia in the process and Dom literally went nuts. We couldn't believe it. Two lads about to live out a real-life dream. Plus, it just got better, as we also found out we'll be doing it with Dan Walker. 
The email also went on further to say we might be needed on a second night and a third night where we will be joined with, wait for it, drum roll please, Colin Murray. Overall, it was the best gig in town. The only downside was the inclusion of Colin the Ego Murray. This wasn't really a good thing, as in our previous encounter with Colin, we had managed to annoy the chuff out of him, something we found out to be quite hard, as he himself is the most annoying person ever to exist. All this news meant only one thing, falafel. We celebrated at our local falafel joint in Bradford. One of the best-kept secrets in Bradford, at only £1.50, you can get falafel the size of a shoebox. The only thing you have to deal with is a hint of racism on the side. Turkish-owned, the first time we ever went to the falafel joint, it will remain nameless, we were met with a ruthless pair of eyes and sniggering behind the counter. They were probably laughing at our ghost-white skin and pathetic stubble. The second time we went, they wouldn't serve us and claimed that there was no falafel between the hours of 12 and 1pm, slap bang on lunchtime. The third time we went, we got charged double. They either didn't like our faces or were racist. We always stick with the latter, although the falafel is truly amazing. I digress. We could not stop smiling. I was eating and smiling, walking and smiling, getting on a bus and smiling, sleeping and smiling and dreaming and smiling. Dom had a smile like a giant banana and we both felt very happy. The date was confirmed and all we had to do was turn up with our now debilitating smiles and act like a proper set of football pundits. There was no pressure whatsoever. It would be recorded and used as a production benchmark for when the professionals came up from London. To be continued. I read the other day about how you've included a piece on Guy Branston and his All About Ballers website. It was a very nice piece, and it did make me wonder how Guy managed to wangle his way into getting a feature. Then I thought, I know, I'll ask him. We are very good friends with Guy. See attached image. Part 20. Hello again, FFT. Bradford have got crew tonight in another semi-final, the Johnson's Paint Trophy. (laughs) And if I'm honest, a game we could do without. Anyway, I'll carry on. The date came around fast, October the 27th. I'll never forget it, as it was in fact the due date for my first child. Initially, I was never going to do the Match of the Day Shadow programme in Manchester because of this fact, but my wife insisted I do it. Then she charged me mobile up to the brim and demanded I come back straight away if her waters broke, even if I was in the middle of recording. We set off way too early, about five hours to be precise, and we were way more excited than any normal person would have been. Professionalism went out of the window and in came sheer prepubescent squealing schoolboys constantly all the way across the M62 to Salford Keys, the new home of Match of the Day. When we arrived, we decided to do what we managed to do before any major event in our short-lived broadcasting lives and go for a pint. This time, though, it was a pint of orange concentrate, scampy fries and a side of constant talk about being on Match of the Day. We also talked about how we would approach this scenario. We decided to be ourselves and pretend like we're analysing the footage with our dads. Although thinking about this now, Dom's dad prefers gardens to goalposts, so it probably wasn't the best prep we'd ever done. We eventually met up with a lad called James who had long scruffy hair and a beard like something out of Lord of the Rings. He worked for the BBC. This gave us hope. He introduced us to about 10,000 different people as we weaved our way through the brand spanking new key house in Salford Keys. Unbeknown to us, the corridors that would become so familiar in months to come. I genuinely think he expected us to remember everyone's names. But we concluded that if he couldn't cut his hair, a few forgotten names wouldn't kill us. 
Eventually, we made it to the green room and sat down in front of one million televisions streaming every single football match ever. We were in heaven. It was going to get even better. To be continued. Oh, a three-parter. I'll be turning into James Patterson at this rate. Part 21. Hi, FFT. The green room for Match of the Day at Key House was amazing. It was like being on the gadget show with more TVs than Pitbull's sunglasses collection, which equates to a lot of TVs. They were all lined up on one wall, playing out live streams of football matches up and down the country. Our job was to watch the TVs and take notes on the games being played. Notes are for losers, Dom uttered under his breath, and he had a point, as sat behind us was Dan Walker of Football Focus fame, and we had to, I stress, had to get chatting with him. The problem we had was that he was deep inside Twitter in its web of addiction. A blind man on a galloping horse wouldn't draw his attention away, so evasive action was needed. All sorts of plans went through our heads, and instead of analysing Van Persie's latest thunderbolt, we were contemplating the consequences of streaking in the green room. We debated long and hard and settled for a technique we could fob off as accidental. So, as Dom laid back, looking interested and deep in football thought, I turned all the TVs in the room off. The green room went into meltdown. It was like an atomic bomb had been activated. Paperwork flew off the desks, runners were running around scratching heads, but most of all, Dan Walker, broken from his Twitter love fest, looked at us and exclaimed, ''What's going on, lads?'' ''We were in.'' ''Oh, I don't know, Dan,'' I replied. Tom, you've sat on the remote, said Dom. Then, like two well-honed missiles, we cruised in on Dan Walker, conversation at the ready. Dan was, and is, the nicest person in the world. Fact. It was like chatting to an old school friend, and after a couple of hours of chewing the breeze, he had the Dom and Tom story down to a T. Like my dad once told me when I was a mere six years of age, it's not what you know, lad, it's who you know emphasising the word who just to make sure it was drilled in. After that, I flunked every subject going, but made damn sure I was best mates with all the teachers. Never looked back. So, with Dan Walker now in our phone books, it was onto the studios, hand in hand, about to record Match of the Friggin' Day. We didn't have a clue what to say, and we didn't know any of the results. Something quite useful when about to embark on air as a football pundit. To be continued. Part 22 in roughly ten hours' time, Bradford City embark on the opportunity to rewrite history books. Never before has a fourth-tier football team reached a major cup final. Never. In roughly ten hours' time, Bradford City embark on the opportunity to rewrite history books. Never before has a fourth-tier football team reached a major cup final. Never. We will fight to the near death and every inch of every player on that pitch tonight will dig deeper than ever before. Before then, though, there is a small matter of concluding this part of our journey. We left the green room inside Key House at roughly 10.15pm. We were running the show as if it was live. We were told should the live feed go down in London, the stream will transfer to us. They were lying and trying to put it up as fair play. We were the new kids on the block, and the new kids on the block also happened to be the best boy band of my generation. Nuff said. We headed straight into hair and makeup. <laughs> hair and chuffin makeup. This was big time showbiz, but in another dimension. The makeup lady was a lovely, friendly woman and made for very light hearted chat. She also revealed how James Corden was a moody sod who didn't trust anyone. She slapped what felt like matte emulsion all over our faces. We were caked in the stuff and couldn't help thinking this was all a bit pointless. 
She also had to add filler to parts of Dom's face as he had a rather unfortunate pubescent period in his life and was very much a veteran of the war against acne. Unfortunately, she couldn't perform stomach bypass surgery or liposuction and such my weight problem had to remain for the cameras and the world of YouTube. We soon entered the studio and met Dan lounging back on his presenting chair. A master at work, I thought. He wouldn't prove us wrong. Lights, camera and action. Well, they didn't actually say these words. It was something like rolling. And from that moment, it wasn't how I imagined. In fact, it was a lot more normal. It was like we were chewing the fat down the local Orson Groom with a couple of mates. What a goal by Lampard. Lovely tackle by Terry. It was going smoothly and we actually analysed quite well for a pair of northern idiots. Then our true northern etiquette came shining through and Dan could not contain himself. There was a series of clips about how Luis Suarez is so good on the ball when driving into the box. On this particular clip, which I was describing, Suarez bombed into the box and douche, smashed it into the bottom corner. Douche was the chosen word as that's how I talked and, well, Dan could not stop laughing. It was like I'd morphed into Michael McIntyre without the millions, lucky bugger. Dan loved it and he loved us. Dom cracked a few funnies as well. We just went from strength to strength. The producers in our ears were also reciprocating well and it was never our intention to add comedy to the match of the day couch. I say couch, but the new pundit chairs are horrible. They made Dom look like he was slouching and I just looked fat. Hence to say, I didn't get a phone call from my pregnant wife with broken waters and we did so well, they asked us back for a second night with Colin Murray. We jumped at the chance to harass Colin just one more time. To be continued. Thanks for taking time to read. Hope to make contact soon as I have since developed an insider at Haymarket who works for sponsorship or some jazz like that. Part 23. We were asked back to the Match of the Day studio the following day to record Match of the Day 2 with Colin Murray. They liked our style so much they wanted us to have another crack, this time with Mr Ego 2009. Colin Michael John Murray. I don't know what happened to Colin. He was brilliant on Radio 1 with Edith and still is a nice guy. He just seems to carry around a giant ego like he's Peter Andre or something. I blame it on Channel 5 and the European football he did for them. It's good to blame things on Channel 5. As we sat in the green room for the second time in two days, and I was, well, in bits. The birth of my child was imminent, and I had visions of me bombing off set, crashing through hoardings and lighting wires like they weren't even there. I had my phone on the loudest possible setting, and I made sure that someone important was holding it. I chose a lady by the name of Liz. She looked keen and understood my worries. We made ourselves at home in the green room again. Dom opting for a latte and me pushing the caffeine boat out with a flat white. We sat back watching the wall of television screens, thinking we were big time. We weren't, and probably never would be, hence why the second round of coffees was followed with a demand for more sugar and biscuits. Going live was approaching, so we tried our best to remember any relevant points from any of the games that day. Unfortunately, though, it wasn't going in. Blagging it again was the only option. Colin made us feel welcome in the best way he could by asking questions and waiting for an answer, by which point he had already asked another question, clearly not listening to a word we were saying. Still, though, a nice happy chappy and a pleasure to work with. We sat down to record and it went swimmingly. This time Dom had the backroom staff in hysterics with his gag about Mick McCarthy's ever-disappearing hairline. They liked it and Colin took the gag well too. The show seemed to fly by and good analysis was followed by good questioning from Colin. He may have an ego like the size of Everest, but he's definitely good at his job. 
After the show, we chatted long and hard with producers and such folk about jobs, but they were giving nothing away. We thought it might be a wise idea to go back to the green room for some networking. On the way there, though, we bumped into someone, like literally. I had my head to the floor, and as I turned the corner, I floored this guy. I quickly picked him up, apologised and got talking. He was a massive York City fan, and we shared similarities with following a crap lower league team. We shook hands, and he was on his way. Afterwards, Dom looked at me like I'd just had a wee on his grandma. Do you know who that was? Nope, I replied. That was frigging Guy Mowbray. I hadn't a clue and pretty much grew up with his voice echoing through BBC Five Live every Saturday. I hated myself. After a long and hard look in the mirror, we decided to head off. I went and met Liz, who at this point still had my phone, and thanked her for looking after it. I took the phone, turned around and walked away. As I turned, I looked at the phone's screen. It had been turned off. What the... I'd spun around to question her and she'd gone. Quickly, I powered it up. Five missed calls and a text from my wife. The rest is a blur, but the M62 and my subsequent route home quickly turned into Silverstone and a record lap time was definitely on the cards. Theo Allen Fletcher was born on the 5th of November 2011. The best thing that has ever happened to me. Closely followed in second by an appearance on Match of the Day. To be continued. Again, this genuinely happened. You couldn't write it. I was thinking the other day, the only thing that will ever get us in your top draw magazine would be some sort of Wembley Cup final. Oh, wait. Part 24. Match of the Day was recorded in November 2011 and we were hopeful of loads more BBC work around the corner. We would check our inbox every morning in the hope of that illusory broadcasting contract. News stories whizzed before us. UK snowstorms. Can broccoli cause cancer? But nothing about two budding young broadcasters being paid millions to talk tripe for a living. Chris Moyles did it every morning and came out with tens of millions, so why couldn't we? The answer was simple. Contacts. We had developed some good BBC contacts, but they were not good enough. Shelley Alexander was the pagan god of niceness, but she didn't call the shots. We needed the guy who called the shots. We need Jonathan Wall, on a platter, with an apple in his mouth. Well, the last two things we definitely didn't need, but I was hungry at the time. We instinctively sent an email which included some of the best begging ever seen in written print. I'm pretty sure I offered a foot rub and Don promised to feed him grapes from the back of a unicorn. Whatever we put in that email, it worked. He replied pretty much straight away, promising us some work. Now, we've been promised work before, with nothing ever coming to fruition. But this was solid, concrete, and had more substance than a very thick bowl of northern stew. No north-south divide prejudice implied. Jonathan Wall offered us three months' contracts at BBC Radio 5 Live in Manchester, working on the Olympic output. OMG! Never before have you seen two fully grown and married men embrace like we did that day. The hug lasted for at least 14 minutes and got uncomfortable after two minutes. We didn't care though, as it was the hug of champions. I say champions in a very loose term as this hadn't been totally confirmed and it wasn't going to start for another six months. Plus, it was only three months and we could as always bodger and badger it up. We celebrated like any two Bradfordians would. Chicken coma and chips times two. The next six months would seem to last for an eternity. 
We continue to produce and record our Bantam's Banter podcast, and as Bradford City seemed to be getting worse as every game approached, our podcasts were getting more and more popular. It seemed that people liked to hear two chumps from Bradford talking a load of tosh for an hour. It was interesting and gave us something to talk about when we got to Salford Keys that beautiful day in July 2012. To be continued. I've decided to send emails sporadically now, as if I worked at FFT, (laughs) dream come true, I'd be anticipating with the delete button at the ready. So, sending them as surprises hopefully eliminates this. Plus, I am running out of stories. You've made it to the end of this chapter. Give yourself a round of applause. Thank you for downloading Chapter 3 of the story of Tom and Dom so far. Keep your eyes on bantamsbanter.com for further chapters to download.